0: may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. I fully believe that every man and woman that is in this room has a destiny in God. That song says that God is with us in the valleys. He is with us on the mountains. And what we're trying to do here is we're trying to create a ministry where men can come together and like iron sharpens iron, we can sharpen each other. So what we're going to do over the I've got a plan for the next six months. We're going to slowly introduce this. That will start on the 14th of July. We're going to have a men's breakfast here at the church. We're also going to be doing things like um, playing golf and go-karting. We haven't organized paintball for this year, but we'll do that for next year. But what I'm trying to do with the paintball, I don't want to shoot any of you. So I'm going to invite another church so I can shoot them. Does that sound fair? <laughs> Now, the breakfast will be here. We've got some Save the Date cards made up, which Dave Bolt helped me do. Um, so we're going to hand them out. We've got 500 of these, so you can hand them out to your friends too. There is one mistake on it, so I'm going to get some more made, so then we'll have a 1,000 of them. So you can hand them out to your mate. The first breakfast, like I said, will be on the 14th of next month. It will be for free. You will not have to pay for it. Okay? I want as many as because I want to explain to you my vision and what I believe God wants to do with us as a group of men in this church. Okay? I'm going to put this out in the foyer and it's going to be the sign-on sheet that's going to be set out there. Um, Just put your name down. We need to know obviously how many people are coming so we know how much bacon and sausage and cholesterol-free, of course. just shake it a bit and they fall out of here so please men come along women send your men this will be good for them i trust me i know without further ado i'm going to uh ask our senior pastor to come up the mighty man of god just give him a hand thank you
1: Fantastic. thank you and uh let's put our hands together for the team they did a fantastic job thank you pastor leonard that was fantastic and uh Thank you for Karen for her first time at MC, awesome and uh, it's great. I think Kathy Franklin's in the building, fantastic, very good to see Kathy here, very good and uh, our sympathy to Lorraine Vivian who lost a family member this week so we just want to pass on our sympathy Lorraine and sentiment for that horrible tragedy and how are you this morning? got Flipper in the room as well. How you doing Flipper? <laughs> and a few others. So it's great to have you here today. Now it's um, time to take off the coat. Getting serious. So um, Now we'll get the first slide up there. Now Who knows that uh, we have been doing a series on 1 Corinthians, you you know that? And who knows that last week we did 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Can someone tell me what comes after 1 Corinthians 6? Okay, 1 Corinthians 7 comes after 1 Corinthians 6, is that okay? Because it's really important that you hear my heart today, because we're going to touch on hopefully in half an hour, a very difficult and sensitive subject, the area of divorce and remarriage. And in a room like we have today, there's probably not one person in the room who's not been touched at some level in their life through divorce and remarriage. There may be one, but it'd be very rare. So we're really only moving on to this because it's in the Bible. So is that okay? And you need to pray for me, because this probably needs about 30 hours to do properly. And I'm going to do it in 30 minutes. So we'll see how we go. Is that alright? Let's pray. Dear Father, help the preacher. Amen. (laughs) Okay, let's just see uh, what the text says, and then we'll try and break open the text a little bit. So I'm going to read from the message version which is not always the best version from you know, getting the most literal point of view, but it, it smooths out the difficult parts of understanding this text pretty well. And so that's what we will do. Just uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now getting down to the question you asked in your letter to me, first, it, is it a good thing to have sexual relationships? That's a good question, isn't it? No one's interested. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Well, Paul goes on to say, Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sex life in a world of sexual disorder. I think the message does that really nicely. I'll just read that again, okay? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife, and all the men said? That wasn't very... (laughs) And for the woman to have a husband? And all the women said? That wasn't that excited either. (laughs) Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sex life in a world of sexual disorder. And this is my most favorite passage in the whole Bible. (laughs) The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. This verse gets quoted lots in my home. (laughs) In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 4 says marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other whether in bed or out of bed. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if both of you agree to it and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such a only for a small time. Then come back together. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting you when you least expect it. Can anybody say, oh me? I'm not, understand it, commanding these uh, periods of abstinence. I'm only providing the best counsel should you choose to do this. Sometimes I wish everyone would be single like me. A simple life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everybody any more than what marriage is for everybody. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and the widows that singleness might be the best thing for them right now as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires or their emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage... Are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. <laughs> the message puts it very well. The difficulties of marriage. All the married people said. It's true, isn't it? The difficulties of marriage. My wife can't get this DVOD, okay? She cannot get this one. I'll be dead otherwise. <laughs> the difference are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single and if you're married stay married this is the master's command not mine if a wife should leave her husband she must remain single or else come back and make things right with him and a husband has no right to get rid of his wife for the rest of you who are in mixed marriages christians married to non-christians i have no real explicit command from the master So this is what I recommend that you do. If a man is with a wife who is not a believer, but she wants to live with him, hold on to her, And vice versa in verse 13. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife, and the unbelieving wife likewise is touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out. As it is, they will be included in the spiritual purposes of God. On the other hand, if the unbelieving spouse walks out, you've got to let him or her go. You don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of it as peacefully as we can. And you never know, wife, the way that you handle this might bring your husband back not only to you but to God. And you never know, husband, see the mutuality going on? The way you handle this might bring your wife back to you and to God. And don't uh, and don't be wishing that you are someplace else or with someone else. Here's the real key here. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, is what should define your life. Okay? Um... So don't think I'm getting harder on you than anybody else because I give the same command to all the churches. So here we're going to go. Next slide. I have 18 slides in half a minute, which means I can go 30 seconds a slide. Here we go. There is a every level of question and conviction here. It, divorce and remarriage is a really tough and sensitive subject. And as we even go through something like this, I, I'm so conscious that this could be quite difficult for some people. And so I only want to pray that the Holy Spirit is here as a healing, ministering atmosphere, presence in your life right now. Because that's my intention, is that the truth will set us free and bring us to good places. So Father, we just really do ask, in the name of Jesus, that for every person here, whether we be a child of the divine, separated we may actually still be married lord and facing difficulties dear god let us hear your heartbeat to know that lord you care for us and the lord you will carry us lord whatever position we find ourselves right in there lord to good things because you are a good god we ask this in jesus name amen so the next slide thank you guys So there are three main causes of misunderstanding in relation to the whole divorce issue. So first bullet point is, we all tend to believe what we already believe. That's a real problem, isn't it? You know, if you believe in a flat earth, you can go to the Bible, you can find scriptures that support a flat earth theory. If you believe in certain things, we in the modern world tend to actually believe what we want to believe Rather than let the Bible be our authority back to us. This is a real problem. We live in this postmodern world where everybody's belief is relative. And so some people believe this and some people believe that. Well, my belief is good as you. But truth is truth. The nature of truth is that it excludes other things. If this is true, then the other must be false. And so we believe in Absolute truth that comes from the Bible. Now we have to do the hard work and understand the Bible and work out what it's really saying to us and you know decode it in terms of its historical and its cultural context. We have to do the hard work, otherwise, we'd be in a situation where when the Bible says that if your right hand offends you, you should cut off your right hand rather than your whole body go to a lost eternity we took that literally no one would have a right hand true don't we understand that where the bible says that we had to kiss the brethren with a holy kiss as much as some of you men are very attractive you're not getting any kiss from me i tell you i'm an aussie even though i'm wearing pink you know i'm an aussie i'll give you a hug maybe i'll shake your hand and i like a nice strong one thank you okay (laughs) But we understand things in some areas, but we actually have to do that every part of the Bible. So number two, thank you. We also let human laws, judgments, and culture confuse us. We live where we are. And so, as you've heard me often say, can the fish determine the water that it swims in? It can't. It's so very, very difficult for the fish to understand its water. And so we now live at the end of the... uh, 20th century, 21st century. And so we are immediately influenced by what we see, by the culture that we live in. And the number one influence in your life about what you think, maybe this is too strong, I might upset you, but it's probably TV. Hollywood. TV and Hollywood probably influences what we think more than anything else. I'd love to say it's actually the word of God that influences more than anything else. But I think for most Westerners, most of you and I, it's actually the TV. We tend to take our cues from there. So number three. Uh, Thank you. Can we come right there? It will come. Oops. I'll get number three. Oh, yeah. Uh, The other thing that we often do is that we take one passage and we try and apply it to all situations and all time. So if we're actually going to understand the Bible, we actually do need to actually do the work from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through to Revelations and understand the full revelation and gamut of revelation there. For example, just dietary laws, just as one example, what were you allowed to eat in the Garden of Eden? And veggies, okay, except for one fruit, okay. That was the law then, wasn't it? After the Garden of Eden, and they were put out. Adam and Eve put out, and they started to. What were you allowed to eat? Ah, uh, not yet. Fruit and veggies still. After the flood, what you were allowed to eat? Fruit and veggies, and meat. <laughs> meat. <laughs> I'm a carnivore. At last you were allowed to eat meat. But you weren't allowed to eat all meat. You were not allowed to eat unclean meat. Then came the law of Moses, and then the dietary laws changed again, and now you, to, you were allowed to eat um, meat and unclean meat, but then you were also allowed to eat lobsters and things with scales and all sorts of scavengers and pigs and stuff like that. That was the Mosaic law. Then when you get to the New Testament... You find Paul in one Corinthians saying, Well, actually it doesn't really matter what you want to eat. You know, it just 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 say thank you, Jesus, for what we're about to receive. I'm gonna enjoy these spare ribs in Jesus' name. <laughs> just receive with thankfulness and stuff. So unless you do the full gamut of what the Bible teaches, you can end up in confusion. Today the Seven Day Adventist Church still teaches that you're not allowed to eat certain foods. That's because they've stuck in just one part of the Bible. Didn't look at the rest of it. Well, is all the Bible inspired? Is all the Bible inspired? Well, then we need to listen to all the Bible. Okay, so let's not take one passage and apply in all situations. Next one. Thank you. The marriage model. So this is what God intended from the beginning. That the two shall be... One flesh. Next slide. What did that one say? Okay. Now, one of the important things that we need to do is to distinguish between God's ideal and the world that we live in. Okay? Here's God's ideal. That there's pure obedience from human beings. That's God's ideal. He doesn't want anybody anybody to sin, does He? That's His ideal. So... But he makes provision for that through sin and sacrifices and sending Jesus. Okay? God's ideal is perfect health. Yeah. yeah. That's his ideal. He doesn't want anybody to be sick. But he makes a provision for that through healing and prayer and miracles. If any man be sick, let him call for the elders of the church. they anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will raise up the sick person. James Okay, God's ideal is that the moment you get saved that you continue to progress in your faith. That's God's ideal. But guess what? If you want to, you can backslide. If you want to, you can turn your back. One of God's ideal is that we have love one for another. That Christians just always get along. Well, guess what? Sometimes we don't achieve that one either. And so within the Bible, there is a realistic solution. It says, you know, if you have a problem, go to your brother, take a witness with you, take it to the leadership of the church. Provision is made for conflict. And here's another one. Sex is reserved for marriage. That's the ideal, isn't it? We we don't believe that anymore. Do we believe that? That is what the Bible teaches. Sex is reserved for marriage. But guess what? Sometimes things happen, but God has a plan for that. Repentance, forgiveness, restoration. Here's the God's ideal, that children growing up in a Christian home will automatically accept Jesus and walk in faith. That's God's ideal. But guess what? Even Father God himself had to let a prodigal son go and wait. All was forgiven and there was restoration. That's the heart of God. And, of course, God's ideal is that marriage should be permanent. But the human reality is that we see divorce and remarriage. And so in order for us to correctly understand what's going on in the Scripture, we must always be able to determine, is, is this God's perfect standard? Or is this what God's doing, acknowledging the fact that we're human beings and that we fall and we fail? You understand? Everybody with me? Put your hand up if you. everybody's with me. Oh, well, it's four of us. Thank you. <laughs> Next slide. Okay. Now, why did God permit divorce to take place? Um, his ideal is that marriage should be permanent, never happen, never split up, but he finds out that people do split up, and so he actually, back in the Old Testament, and the law of Moses, permitted divorce. Why? You could say to me, Pastor Mike, why? Thank you. Why? Because of the hardness of human heart. Jesus says that when the heart gets hard, it's something that's difficult for God to fix. If my heart is soft, all things are possible. But if I ever get a hard heart, then it's a very difficult for reconciliation to take place. Hardness in this heart, in context, refers to a stubborn refusal of a marriage partner to repent or to stop sinful behavior that constantly violates and breaks the marriage vow if that's what's going on, God can't fix it. Because he'll never override your will. He will never make you do something that you don't want to do. So if the heart's hard, you can't make me. And God's not going to make you. So, next uh, next slide. So God doesn't approve marriage. Is that what I... No, sorry. Dyslexia. False teeth back in. Rewind. Push the rewind button one with Mark <laughs> tried to marry him and his wife <laughs> when I'm dedicating his baby <laughs> oh dear Lord foot and mouth disease terrible so God doesn't approve divorce but he permits divorce in fact it is a social justice issue in the Old Testament as would be still and say in Islamic culture today to be uh, to divorce a woman, in uh, Islam, you simply need to say the words, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, three times and you're divorced. Now, I was in Malaysia only about seven years ago, and in the front paper of the Ma- of the Daily Telegraph for Malaysia, whatever they call it, a Muslim man had text messaged his wife three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and the Islamic scholars are debating whether that is actually sufficient for the divorce to take place. And the consensus was that it was. And so, uh, tr- some years ago as a church, we don't do it now, we used to actually support a women's refuge in central Java. Java. And uh, this was a uh, one of these under-the-radar type things. Because in central Java... Islamic culture again, if the woman did something that upset the husband, he could literally say, yeah, I, divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and she'd be thrown out in the streets, literally, and becomes a person with very little status, no place to go, very thing. And he can change his mind at any time. And so men, I know you men would never do this, but they could be very cruel with the way that they manipulated that relationship. In the ancient world, if you were a divorced woman, you literally had the choice of prostitution or to go back and shame to your family, and shame was a big thing. It was a horrible thing. And so when Moses issued a bill of divorcement, he's actually protecting the status of the female because sometimes boys are very nasty to girls. It was actually giving them the right to say, I'm actually not an adulteress. I'm not actually one of these other things that uh, my husband might say of me. And here's my bill of divorce to show it. So God permits divorce on these three reasons. Doesn't approve them, but permits them. One is adultery. One is desertion. The other is serious abuse. Next slide. Thank you. Is everybody okay? So good. Okay. Matthew 19 verse 9 says, And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, the word is pornea there in the in the um, in the Greek language, here in the other passage in 524, and marries and commits adultery. So divorce is permitted, but not mandatory after adultery. Now I I I, I do not know how I would react if my wife. But God would want me to get to a place where I can access supernatural grace to be able to forgive and to restore. And I know there'd be a journey that'd have to be worked out. That's God's first plan, forgiveness and restoration. However, if it's not possible, then you are actually permitted to divorce in that particular case. Next one. Thank you. This is desertion. Um, We will, for the sake of time, not go through the whole text. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart, and a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. The word in Greek is the word deo, which is literally divine. It's the normal word to talk about a marriage covenant. So if you are deserter, there does seem to be that divorce is permitted, but not mandatory after desertion. Next slide. Serious abuse. Now, can I ask you to do a little bit of hard work now? Okay. So this is Exodus chapter 21. This is actually regulations involving the rights of the second wife. Okay. This is the rights of the second wife. So this is not what God wants. God doesn't want you to have two more than one wife. I want to have one wife, one husband, and stuff, so God is again regulating social culture to bring about social justice issues in this particular area and so this is uh, so you might imagine a man he gets married young, he's got a nice uh, nice lady, the relationship's doing well for a while, and then he sees another pretty little thing, a bit younger, newer model, and so he says, oh, "I think I'd like to get married." second one so he gets a second one 10 cows later he's got his second wife you see now he's uh, got a problem with this conflict going on between the girls that could happen <laughs> and so now he's starting to treat the second wife badly could you imagine how that could happen problems going on and so these are regulations relating to the second wife However, if it applies to the second wife, it also applies to the first wife. You understand the application? If these are the rights for any wife that you have, subsequent to your first right, wife, <laughs> your first wife, it would also apply to your first wife. Did I bring you with me on that? Is that all right? So these are the rights of the second wife, food, clothing, and marriage rights. And if she does not have these three, then she shall go free and be issued with a bill of divorcement. So she has legal right to actually get a divorce if if her husband's not feeding her, not clothing her, and not looking after her marriage rights. We would suggest that that would include If he was beating her senseless every time she didn't do the wrong thing, that is included in that particular area. So, next slide. Okay. This is something that some people don't understand. God is a divorcee. And that's the reason why the Bible says in Malachi that God hates divorce. Some people have the attitude of God up in heaven being the angry father pointing the finger. I hate divorce. That's actually the wrong stance. God hates divorce because he's crying. He has a broken heart. And he actually feels the incredible pain of unfaithfulness to someone that he's loved and tried to bring home for himself. The reason why God hates divorce is because families it destroys in his case nations and so he actually if you go to ezekiel chapter 16 there's this a long story where there's two sisters and these two sisters and one of the sisters is very immoral and does all the wrong things and she gets taken away and all sorts of things and then the other sister starts to doing the same thing and god says this is you and israel judah don't you understand what happened to israel i had to divorce israel I loved Israel. I wanted Israel. But she was unfaithful to me over and over and over again. And whilst I tried to win it back with love and I would send her the prophets and I'd try to encourage her with my blessing and protection, she continued to cheat on me, continued to go after false gods and worship others and stuff. I had no choice. I got to the position where I had had to issue her a bill of divorcement. And so God himself is a divorcee. He knows what it's like to have a relationship despite his best efforts he couldn't rescue. It it teases out your understanding of the sovereignty of God, doesn't it? God himself cannot make you love him. He desperately. God cannot make you be faithful to Him, but He desperately desires that level of purity and faithfulness in the relationship. Uh, Next slide, thank you. So Matthew 19, verse 6. So here's God's ideal, just to repeat it again. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. It is important if you want to do the deeper study. Jesus is actually buying into a theological question of the day. So this is an historical thing. If you've got a good study Bible, it will tell you that. But if you're not reading a good study Bible, you may not realize that there are two schools of rabbinical thinking. One of those schools is known as the school of Hillel. The other school is known as the school of Shammai. And uh, one of the schools teaches that Deuteronomy chapter 24, where the, uh, uh, Moses is saying in the Torah that you can give a bill of divorcement to a woman on the basis of, quote, unquote, uncleanliness. What does uncleanliness mean? Turn to your name, and say, what does uncleanliness mean? Does it mean I can divorce you if you don't use the deodorant? What does uncleanliness mean? So, this is the thing. Moses said you could divorce your wife if she was unclean. What does unclean mean? So, guess what? Theologians love these sorts of questions. And they sit down and they figure out, well, unclean means this and unclean doesn't mean that. And they work it. So, eventually, there were two schools. The school of uh, Hillel says unclean meant sexual adultery. Probably only adultery. There, sorry, it's, yeah, adultery, and anything else. Burns the baked beans. You can divorce them. You know, doesn't bring you slippers on time. You know, doesn't put sugar in your cup of tea. Any cause would be good, and so that's why if you read the text, it says what they came to Jesus and asked him, "Is it permissible to put away your wife for?" Any cause. It's actually buying directly into this argument. The other school, the school of Shammai, actually said, no, no, the only form, the only reason that uh, Moses ever permitted divorce was simply on the basis of sexual infidelity. Essentially, marriage is a covenant. It's a blood covenant. And when a man and a woman come together, it's meant to be an irreversible covenant someone goes outside of that they have actually broken covenant that doesn't mean it's not repairable but covenant has been broken and it will need an act of love, love grace and forgiveness in order for it to be restored can you say amen okay there's a lot more text there but we have to keep moving because the clock is working against me we're covering a lot of ground some relationships just aren't right it's a joke. <laughs> I just thought we needed a lighter moment for a minute. So. Okay, next one. Sex is powerful. Um, I remember. It's very powerful. <laughs> Moving right along. God's boundary is this: that sex is limited to a husband and wife relationship. Here again, from our text in Second Corinthians, because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife. I just felt some elbows then, straighten the side then. I just felt it, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but my wife does. Do not deprive one another so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so, uh, fulfill one's duty not to withhold someone. This is God's boundary for sex. Okay, next slide. Is that all right? It's just the Bible. But I think we also have to understand that Singleness is an option. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is quite clear that singleness should be considered to be a viable option. Now, our Western world tends to suggest that's not the case. I think if you're uh, uh, one of my good friends is uh, Pastor Bernadette Jones. She was 40 when she got married. Lovely woman, a bit headstrong. But, uh, you know, she went through a whole life, basically, of, you know, going through these sorts of conversations. Oh, hello, Pastor Bernie. That's good. Is a, are you married? No, I'm not married. Oh, you poor dear. <laughs> you, you know, well, we'll be praying for you and people trying to match make, And, you know, we, we need to understand singleness is not a curse. that right Valerie absolutely (laughs) she loves being single and what the Bible suggests is this that being married can be pretty tough I'm I'm, I'm hoping I'm not putting anybody off here being married can be tough what the Bible says that being single can be tough and that there are different strengths and weaknesses for being married and single But one of the great advantages, if you're able to exercise self-control, say if, if you can exercise self-control, Paul's advice is stay single. You'll have a lot less bills, a lot less responsibilities, (laughs) greater freedom. It's the truth. I am telling you the truth. This is what the Bible teaches. And Paul goes on in verse 26 of this passage to say that when there are evil times coming upon the earth, maybe it's a good idea not to get married in those times. It's going to be hard if you've got a family. So if you can stay single, what should you do? Stay single. (laughs) But if you can't control yourself, (laughs) that's me, Confess it, I need I need a wife. <laughs> I need my cuddles. So singleness is a viable option. Please, as a church, can you never, ever put that horrible thing, that cultural expectation on people? Oh, you're single. You hor- your poor thing will pray for you. You know, it's that's not right. I mean, you don't get up to married people, do you? He says, oh, you're married. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> I could tell you stories. Oh look, one of my, can I have five minutes extra today? Just five minutes. One of my favorite stories, it's one of my little jokes, <laughs> is the man is going around looking at this sane asylum. And he's having a tour. The doctor showing him, and they're going up to all these padded cells, and there's very tragic individuals locked up behind doors. And they go up and they look through the window of one of these things. And there's this guy. You know, he's in a straight jacket, and he's banging his head against the wall. And he's going, "Lily, Lily, Lily, Lily." I mean, very sad, very tragic. And so the uh, guy asks the doctor, "What happened to this man?" So, oh, he was. Deeply in love with this girl, her name was Lulu, and uh, making all these plans to get married and spend their life together and stuff. And then she left him, and it just broke his heart, and he's never been the same. Oh, tragic. That's so sad. So he goes over the next cell, opens up the thing. There's another guy, and he's got straight jacket around him. He's banging his head against the wall, and he's going, Lulu, 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 Lulu. And that's unusual, you know. It says, well, what happened to this guy? says, Well, uh, Lulu m- married this one. <laughs> He's never been the same since. <laughs> oh, you must be. Ba- uh, that's, that's, it was half paid, that one. Okay. Marriage is wonderful and challenging, but Paul's message to the church at Corinth, because it asked the question. They've asked a really good question. How do you deal with sex? And where does sex then fit into all these relationship combinations that you can get in any culture, in any time, in history? And he says, hey, stay where you are if you can. If you can stay happy and serve Jesus, because ultimately our identity should be that we're in God, that we're a son and a child of God. Next one. Marriage is actually for holiness, not happiness. You see, if you think that getting married Whether marriage will bring you moments of joy? Absolutely. Will marriage bring you moments of companionship? Absolutely. Will it bring you times of wonderful friendship, shared sunsets together? Yes. But will it bring you moments of challenge? Will it bring moments of time where that person, I used to think that was cute, now it just annoys the snot out of me frustration? The meaning of marriage is about holiness. It's about learning to grow. Marriage is the one place where you'll be known more than in that space, more than any other space in your life. I can fake it a little bit with you guys, but I can't fake it with my wife. She sees me 24 hours a day, year after year after year. And so marriage has taught me to be less selfish, to be more other-centered, to learn what it is to really love someone. Because love is not a feeling, you understand that. Love is saying, I'm going to keep my promise. And uh, so, this is the goal for marriage. So, if you want to get married to help you grow and learn, it's a good idea. If <laughs> you want to get married because it's going to solve all your problems and all your needs are going to evaporate and it's all going to be wonderful, then um, I'm sorry, that's not how it goes. Now, can you see why marriage in the secular world is almost doomed to fail to begin with? Can you see that? Seriously, unless you've got God to help you in your marriage, it's going to be really, really tough work. You know, thank God for those that cancel it and make it out. But it's actually a supernatural thing. Marriage is about learning what real relationship's about, what real stewardship's about, because you're now going to be using your money, your energy for other people, just not yourself. You're now going to learn what real worship is you know, learn what it is to worship God. And uh, here's this incredible point. So next one. Father wants to bring the best for us a cord. A cord of three strands it is not easily broken. So God designed marriage in an incredible way that we can never understand. Is there one more slide? Probably not. I think that's it. I think I skipped over one. You know, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about how marriage is a picture of what our relationship with Jesus is going to be like. And so marriage properly done teaches me that it's about being in a relationship with two minds, being in harmony one with another. It teaches me about waiting. It teaches me about a whole lot of things about the kingdom to come. And so I've tried to give you a biblical theology in, a, in half an hour, 35 minutes about what divorce and your marriage is about. And the truth is, wherever you are now, God loves you, he's got a plan for your life. He wants you to be fulfilled and alive and moving forward right where you are. Please don't wait for Mr. Wright to come. he don't exist. Please don't write for Miss Wright to come. <laughs> Peter, you're doing really well here. <laughs> Please don't wait for them to come because ultimately it's got to come from here. You be Mr. Wright and you be Mrs. Wright and then marriage is then a wonderful, wonderful thing. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, Lord your desire, Lord, to teach us so much about you that you created this incredibly powerful thing of sex, Marriage, Lord, that we will get insight, Lord, what the kingdom of God's really about. Lord, a biblical marriage is still one of the most um, amazing testimonies to a dying world, a lost world. Lord, a biblical marriage where there's love, forgiveness, commitment, Lord. Lord, even when we go through the hard stuff, Lord, that's saying something is different about our bond than those in the world. Lord, you did say that as we got into the last days, that we would see, Lord, these incredible uh, travesties around us. We would see, Lord, uh, uh, the giving and the receiving in marriage, people falling in and out of relationships, Lord, on a constant basis. Lord, we know that every time that happens, Lord, it hurts us. Lord, it hurts the kids. Hurts society, hurts our schools, hurts our taxation system. Lord, any society that has the constant breakdown of the family, Lord, suffers dreadfully. Lord, we pray for our Australian families. We pray for the Church of Jesus Christ families, Lord. Father, even now, Lord, there would be families, Lord, in churches, Lord, sitting on your word, Lord, and they're under extreme pressure. Lord, to hold together. Lord, I pray for grace. Lord, a supernatural enabling, Lord, to help them, Lord, let you work and turn the water into the wine, Lord, when it's all ran out. And Lord, for those that may be in a different setting, Lord, either single or divorced, Lord, whatever that might be, Father, we do pray that, Lord, we will understand that we can live in freedom and in grace, Lord, and we can live purposeful and fulfilled lives, Lord, and we need not feel any sense of shame or dishonor because, Lord, we have our identity in Jesus Christ. Lord, greater is he that's within us, Lord, than he that's in the world. Lord, we don't form our status, Lord, based on what other people think, Lord. We take our sense, Lord, of security and significance and self-worth because you loved us, Lord, and you called us, Lord, and you've empowered us, and you've got a plan and a purpose for our life, and we give you praise for that. And Father, Lord, I pray that, Lord, as, um, as just people in a church, as we interface with the world, Lord, wherever we go, Lord, we are going to be talking to people, Lord, who are in the middle of trouble, of heartache. We're going to be talking to kids that have a couple of dads and a couple of mums and all different circumstances, Lord. Father, I pray that they wouldn't hear judgment or condemnation. Somehow we think we're better than they are. But Lord, they'd understand that the reason why you hate divorce is, Lord, because you understand the pain and the loss. You have suffered, Lord. of relationship that you were totally committed to. Lord, that hurts you. So, Lord, I do pray that, Lord, we would be those that would be those that would speak forgiveness and hope do work and um, you've heard my testimony before I do give all the glory to God. Again, that scripture is very true. With God, all things are possible. (laughs) That's a good scripture for a marriage, isn't it? (laughs) With God, all things are possible. But it's the truth. Absolutely the truth.